podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the weekender on the Anfield app. Neil Atkinson here. I've got Dan Austin. I have got Amelia Bonner. I've got Mike Welsh and Ben Sharples from Mike Lowry uh, coming in to have a lovely big chat uh, about themselves, but also about the Reds as they love the football. Uh, we've been trying to get this sorted for weeks and months, haven't we? And you've decided to tour Europe, Ben. Oh, sorry, we've been swerving, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good that we finally got it boxed off, and it's a pleasure that they're here today. And we'll get stuck in first and foremost. Normally, we're talking all sorts of stuff around uh, the game that's happened, but Liverpool have actually not had a midweek game this week, which is good news for them. More rest before Wolves. It means that we all have to start thinking about the transfers. Uh, ben, I'll go to you first. Actually, can Liverpool just sit tight? Would you want them to sit tight, or do you think this is one where, right, if there's an opportunity to get in either another attacking midfielder, say, or a centre-half, given the mini-crisis that we've got at the back, they've got to do it now? Yeah, I think so. I don't think Jürgen will. I think he'll... he'll he loves to sit tight. Yeah, he <laughs> loves to sit tight. Eh? But I think we could definitely do with it. Um, I don't think centre-back. I think people have started to panic a little bit, but... Um, I think we'll be all right, you know, because I think if we get someone in who's of, you know, that high standard, then it's like, what, what, what are we going to do when the other guys come back in? Because yeah. I still want to see Joe Gomez and Van Dyke when he's back fit, do you know what I mean? So I think we should hold out on that. Um, but I think we could definitely do with another um, attacking centre mid. Um, I think that's what we're missing when, when you look at, you know, us comparing with City now. I think this year, you know, we, we, we're, we're competing a lot more now with the with the strength and depth with the squad, but we're still missing that David Silva kind of player. Um, and so I, th- I think, you know, if he has the opportunity for someone like that to come up, say like a, a Nabil Fakir, then I think he should take it. It's dead annoying because we do still have Alex Ox, but he's very mm. little use to us right now. It's it's because you know, like that would be the one yeah, sign in that it, you'd yeah. think it's it's not even a gap because like we're still unbeaten, we're still in the great yeah. position, and to be thinking about who do we want or who do we need when we're in this strong position is like it's a fantastic situation yeah. to be in. That's obviously the the kind of gap that you've got, and it just like it makes me dead sad just thinking about Alex Ox. Yeah, I think that's the thing about it is that if, if you look at the squad with absolutely everybody fully fit. I don't think you'd look at a genuine gap in January and say, well, that needs filled. That's a real weak point in our unit that we need to improve upon. Um, I think it's very hard for Liverpool to buy footballers at this point because you've either got to buy footballers that are amongst the best in the world if you want them to come in and be a first-choice part of your team, or you've got to find someone that's on the up, not already playing for a big club, that would be up for a move in January that you can find a role for, but they're not guaranteed minutes. And then they've got to get used to the manager's way of playing in a very short amount of time for the latter half of the season. So as much as as much as you might look at, yes, centre-half and go, wouldn't it just be nice to have an extra one for them few games in January where we might be down to the bare bones? If you look at it in the long term, when the four of them are back fit and have all been playing really well so far this season, what do you do with the fifth one? If, you, if you've spent 30 or 40 million quid on them, you've probably got to bomb someone else there at some point. Um, or if you sign someone that's in his early 30s on a free or um, you've just for a few million quid, are you really going to go to all that effort just for a few games? Um, when by the end of January, you've got Lovren back, you've got Matip back, you've got Joe Gomez fit again, and suddenly this fella is sitting on your age bill with no games to play because there are four lads ahead of him. It's literally why he didn't bother with Clavin anymore. He's perfectly happy for Clavan to stay, but as soon as he asked to go, he's like, yeah, all right, because you're probably not going to get your game. Um, and if he was absolutely desperate, I'm sure he could just stick James Milner there and it'd all be all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's probably very much aware of that. <laughs> but James Milner is. Yeah. yeah James Milner's up nights, worried about playing centre-half. Uh, Mike. 
Uh, I think for me, January transfers, it's a case of the formula is not right. That's when you really need to sort of invest into that and look at your team. But at the moment, you know, playing well, yeah, we've got a few of us out, but, you know, it's a formula that Klopp's got. And I think, is it something that you really want to invest in changing too much when, like I said, when everyone comes back, you've also got to sort of rejig, reintroduce people, sort of start. I mean, if you look at Keita and how he's just, you know, started for me the past few games you start to get a lot more comfortable you know you've got to try and do that again with more players especially around that position I think you know we're doing well at the moment I think I like how we're playing obviously a few man outs but you know it's one of them where I think you got to I think what Klopp will do is just push through obviously you know I think it's the best best thing to do in our case especially where we're sitting Ben, I want a belter. I think I'm sort of with you on this. Like, you're the one in the room who's most aligned to me. Like, for instance, whenever I get unbelievably excited at the slightest little yeah. bit of a, of, of a Dembele rumour, I'm like, yeah. oh, hello, another lad who runs yeah. dead fast and can play in wide yeah. areas. I'll have one of them. Yeah. Uh, he's got unbelievable touch. But there is, there's the lads knocking around who we haven't seen a lot of. There's Origi, Solanke, mm. Lalana, Klein, Camacho, maybe, where he might be thinking, well, I think we repeatedly go, well, he's not going to keep using Adam Lallana, yeah. but I think he thinks he is he going to will, use Adam yeah. Lallana. Yeah, possibly. I just think, um, I think if if it was like, you know, obviously a couple of years ago, Adam was probably one of the, one of the first names on the team sheet for Jürgen, but I f- feel like he probably doesn't look at him in the same way now because he's been, you know, used so little this season. Um and as you say, you know, there's other lads there. You've got Origi, um, Solanke. But I think if he thought that they were um, of that standard to be, you know, chat, like winning games week in, week, week out and keeping up with City, then he would have used them a lot more, I think, this season. Because when you see how he's rotated that midfield, he he trusts in every single one of those players that they're, you know, of a level that they can maintain yeah. that standard. Whereas I think with the top, those attacking plays, he doesn't feel as confident with that. You know, maybe storage, but a bit of security, bit of storage. Yeah, mm. but I don't feel like he feels the confidence in the others. If you're Solanke, I don't know whether like you want to get moved on as well because the squad has changed and moved on so much since he first joined. And I just think if you're looking at Klopp's first choices now, and also if I was, if I had to name every member of the Liverpool squad, it would take me quite a while before I got to Solanke, as we learnt at the Anfield Rap Quiz. Mm-hmm. But um, I just. Uh, I don't know, if you hear me, you're not thinking maybe it's better for me if I do get moved on to somewhere. There's also a, a Rian Brewster question, Mike. Mm. That, you know, there's a lot of talk about Brewster. We, we've heard a lot about him. We've seen the clips, the YouTube stuff, what he does for what, what he's been doing for England under 19s, mm. all that sort of stuff. Mm. I'm dead excited about him. I do want to see him get a chance, you know, mm. when he gets back to full fitness because he looks he looks like he could play in wide areas, mm. tons of pace, like I've said, and he can finish. Mm. Yeah. Um again, I just think it's one of them where it's like, you know, it's so it's an exciting prospect in terms of like what he can do, but in terms of like how we're playing now and sort of how Klopp plays. I mean, from me when I was watching, you know, the United game, you know, I'm watching and I'm thinking, you know, he needs the sub, he needs to make the sub, he needs to make the sub. But you know, it's all in the mind and it was well with the backroom staff. You know, it's how they play and who they want to bring on, and they sort of know in each game and it's trying to fit a player into that. Do you know what I mean? Even with exciting prospects, it's like why, why break a formula and why change when. He's specifically got players in to do them parts already. Does he need to think about a couple of exits? Because that's the, you know, we, we always think of it in one way, Dan, which is getting new exciting footballers to play with and watch and and, and think are, are amazing. But there is, I mentioned Lallana there before. There's the, the, 
I wonder, you know, Nathaniel Klein comes in, he's great against United. He really was. You couldn't have asked any more of him. First mm-hmm. game back, all that sort of stuff. Yep. But even he might be thinking, well, where's my February game? What does my February game mm-hmm. look like? Um, you've got um, Solanke was mentioned there. Origi still, you know. Mm-hmm. It seems strange to me that they could all have a part to play, but it's a bit of a gamble, isn't it, for their career? Because footballers' careers are short, so six months matters. Yeah, um, but I don't think that he himself is going through a squad list at the minute and looking through lads and putting red X's next to the name as though he's happy to let them so go. So the idea they knock on the door? Yes, exactly. I think if people come to him and say, I want to move for this season because I don't think I'm going to get a game here in the long run and you know, you might play me a little bit in January while there's still a glut of fixtures and there's a few injuries, but beyond that, I'm really going to get a game. And if he's being honest with them and says no, then he says, all right, if you can find yourself a move, that's fine. But I think for various reasons, for the... For the older players like Klein, like Lalana, they've played enough, I think, recently that he can justify to them that they've still got a role to play, even if it's four or six months, and that they'll be involved, and that what they're going to be involved in is a title challenge and a challenge for the European Cup. And that's a big selling point as well, even yeah. if you're not playing in them games. Yeah. If you think, well, I've done four years at Liverpool now and I've not won anything, but bloody hell, I could win the two biggest honours in the game, or I could just play, go and play right full for Fulham for the next six months. <laughs> it makes the choice a lot easier, yeah. I would imagine. Um, and then for the younger players, I think he'd have looked a lot at, at what's happened with various ones that are on loan already so for example Woodburn who's not been playing for Sheffield United and it looks like it's been a bit of a waste of everyone's time Jar, you know, uh, even has been playing for Rangers but is unsettled on a personal level yeah so if he's looking at Solanke then for example what does he do does he think well I could send him somewhere maybe he gets two games and he doesn't score and then they bomb him and he's on the bench and if he does go where's he going to is he going to get like a lower end Premier League side I don't think if I was a lower end Premier League side I'd particularly look at him so then maybe you know, mid to top tier championship. Is that going to do him good in the long run? Are they going to play any kind of similar football to Liverpool? He's going to learn anything that he can bring back. So I think there's a lot of sort of nuances with each of them that would make me think he probably doesn't want to get rid of any of them. And the only way that he will do it is if someone comes to him and says, this is why I want to leave. This is where I can go to. It makes sense. All right. It is the Anfield wrap. It is the weekender. We partnered with Red Bet, Red's Bet in 2018 and they give half of your losses, their profits to fan-related causes, uh, Liverpool fan-related causes in the case of Red's Bet. Fans Bet is the nationwide thing, but frankly we can forget all that this week because me and John <laughs> Givens are building a fantasy team and we're going to win, John. Yeah, we're coming together, we're going to have a go, so yeah, we'll see how we get on. Um, um, so we'll see how we get on uh, and we will go from there. Um, so we will start with uh, Bournemouth. Brighton. So the other fixtures, there's eight fixtures that count uh, through this. So they've not done the half 12 or the Liverpool Friday night game. So Bournemouth, Brighton, Chelsea, Leicester, Huddersfield, Southampton, Manchester City, Crystal Palace, Newcastle United, Fulham, West Ham, Watford, Cardiff City, Man United, and Everton versus Spurs. So do you know who my first pick is? <laughs> Go on. I want Paul Pogba. Oh, that's interesting. So it's, I mean, it's. I know what you mean. Do you think he's going to be like point to prove type type situation? Absolutely. All right. Okay. I think Solskjaer is going to pick him because he's going to have to. I think he's going to be absolutely dominant. Cardiff are crap, <laughs> so he's going to get to absolutely waltz around and look like look like an absolute superstar. I reckon he's got goals and assists written all over him. All right. Okay. So, so you pop, he's only eight mil. Is he only eight mil? And we've got a yeah. hundred mil to spend, but we've yeah. got to get a bit of a squad. Yeah. So okay. I'll. I'll uh... Yeah, he's been added to our team. Okay, I've got another one for you, John. Okay. I don't think it's going to be hard for me to convince you <laughs> of a midfielder. Right. Mikel Antonio. <laughs> I've got, I do. He's one of those strange players that I really like, him and Jack Cork. Uh, I've had Antonio before. Uh, he's, he's done numbers for me as well. 
Um, so, uh, I mean, do, do you fancy West Ham? West Ham are home to Watford. West Ham are on fire at the minute. Antonio's playing off a flank, looking the part. Uh, yeah, okay. Can I tempt you, tempt you with a Felipe Anderson then as well? Of course you can. <laughs> so he's been added as well. Um, yeah, he's. I thought he looked really good at Anfield first day of the season, but you wonder whether he was going to be one of those players he'd maybe flattered to see a bit. But he certainly added them product in the last few weeks. Looks just looks a really nice footballer. Um, so yeah, get him, get him in there, get him in there. Uh, I love that sort of talk. So that's that boxed off. So we've all, we've got three centre mids. We're on fire, to be honest with you. Uh, no one can stop us now. And I just, <laughs> I just reckon that the listeners at home are going to be thinking to themselves, why even bother entering? Uh, but <laughs> if you do enter, uh, you get a fifty thousand pound prize pool uh, that we can all be entered into uh, and that's going right the way through there and you can get a free entry on Red's bet as well let me just make that clear and then every other entry becomes £11,000 £11, not £11,000 £11 thereafter <laughs> uh, so you can have your first one for free and then £11 thereafter um, okay so I feel as though we've made some progress we've got three lads in this could be a long segment but we're taking it deadly seriously if we're doing this we're doing this properly as I said to you earlier on yeah so City are home to Palace oh god but, but Guardiola Prick. I found this he, he plays silly beggars yeah uh, what was he can't trust him what was he up to midweek in that I ignored the Caribou Cup totally <laughs> all I know is that Craig Bellamy does the draw <laughs> honestly right the, Car- the, the Caribou Cup hey yeah it's amazing it still goes on once, you, once Liverpool have been knocked out yeah. Uh, I never know what's happening with the thing. So uh, let's see how, how strong um, Pep went. Okay, uh, Pep went. I'll get you this. I'll get you this team. Uh, he went. Uh, oh, he went weak. So Zinchenko got a game. Big Kev De Bruyne got seventy minutes. Uh, Phil Foden, Mares got the full ninety. Aguero got seventy six minutes, and then Gabriel Jesus came on. It's worth pointing out that. They were increasingly worried about the outcome of the match, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so Gabriel Jesus uh, came on on 76. Sterling came on on 66. Aguero's got 70-odd minutes under his belt. But Jesus has been alive. I reckon we go Jesus, you know. Oh, I will add, like, Sterling. So if you give me Sterling, I'll, I'll give you Jesus. It's done. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> this is how we make business decisions as well, folks. Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, constantly. So Sterling's down as a midfielder. Eric Guerrero. Oh. Eric Guerrero's obviously down as a forward. Okay, but, so we don't want to Guerrero, we want Jesus. Oh, sorry. He's not being removed. Uh, okay, so we'll have a bit of Sterling. Uh, we'll have Jesus. What, what formation have we got to play? Is it, is it restrictive or can we pick? Um, I need to close this. Uh, Christmas fantasy. So we need two keepers, five defenders, yeah. five midfielders, yeah. three attackers. Okay. Um, I almost think you pick an 11 and then we may as well just get some, some dogs around them. Um, I love picking dogs. Yeah, so so it's so it's five, well, yeah, and then, so it's it's five, five and three and then, and then you're picking your, your formation based need, on that. And you need a keeper as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, well, you just keep picking the good lads, John, and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll sort it out later on. Yeah. Um, do we think, in good conscience, Crystal Palace is scoring at Man, Man City? And no. is there a, and is there a club limit on what we can have? By the way, well, let's find out. Let's get Laporte in. You think he's going to play? Yeah. I do think he's going to play. Hang on, let me get my uh, team news up, but I'll double check it for you now. Uh, I think he's going to play. Um, yeah, get Laporte in. Let's do Laporte. Come on, let's live. All right. Let's live a life. Um, okay. Uh, who else do I fancy to keep a clean sheet? What are all my tricks? Who's got Burnley? Oh, Arsenal have got Burnley. It's not on the game, bastards. Um, <laughs> okay. What about uh, Bournemouth for home to Brighton? You like it, John. Good thinking. Nathan Ake definitely going to start. And um, bit of Callum Wilson. Oh yeah, that's a great shout. 
Wilson. So we've got Wilson and he's us up top. <laughs> Lively. It is, it is. A lot of movement. Uh, a lot of movement. Wilson and he's us up, up top. Oh, should we do a bit of sexy Ryan Fraser? <laughs> he's only 5.5. And he's only a little fella. Let's get him in. <laughs> All right, okay. So now we've got five midfielders, Pogba, Antonio, Anderson, Sterling and basically, Fraser. We're basically full. Of, uh, Midfield. of midfielders, we've got two. We've got two. Um, we've got two. I, I want to play three-five-two if we can. All right. Well, we need. We've only got two defenders at the moment. Okay. Well, so let's, uh, let's get one more boss one and then some some shite. <laughs> um, I was about to say Licksteiner, but it's it, it's not going to happen. Um, okay. And, and we can. I mean, we've got we've got we've got keeper moves as well. Don't forget. Yeah, we have got keeper moves. We've got thirty-four point five million. There's an auto complete section as well, which will help. Well, we'll help when we get to eleven. Um, <laughs> I'm on board. I'm, yeah, we've had enough. And it's on some it's fun to see you again. Should we have the Chelsea keeper? They're at home to Leicester. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kepper, I believe he's called. I'm just looking to get back into the thing. It's good this app on your phone, you know. Is it? So often with fancy stuff, I struggle on my phone. Uh, but especially like, you know, we're not trying to do basic stuff. Uh, but this is really smart. Fair play. Fair play, okay. Would you want a Chelsea defender then as well? I, I, I almost, almost want to spread the risk on that one, but Newcastle are at home to Fulham. Uh, what, you want to sell it? I mean, I always want to sell it. <laughs> what's he doing? What's, what's, what's Rafa going to do? So the sell should start, and Fernando yeah. is June. I also it? fancy a player who should be banned as well. Like, I always think they've, they've got something in them, like, the, you know, because he should have got a red yep. for that awful tackle. Let's I always fancy him nodding in one in a corner in, in, in that situation. Um, let's LaSalle's it. So, if it'll let us do 3-5-2, do you want to press auto-complete and see if it'll let us do 3-5-2? Oh, it's, 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 on, it's on it already, mate. It's moving, it's moving players around all over the place as Is we it? put them in. Yeah, you don't even have to pick your formation. You see, there's an argument around any ingredients. Uh, see, there you go, 3-5-2. Oh, auto-complete that then and we'll say that's our team. Uh, okay. So it's picked for us. Um, Schofield oh, for Huddersfield, apparently. Phillips lad. Uh, Bennett, um, a defender for Cardiff. Yeah. Marcus Rashford, that's interesting. Oh, okay. Uh, forward and uh, Shaletto uh, for Brighton. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's asking us for a captain and a vice captain as well. Okay. Uh, I reckon our captain. It's defaulted to Sterling and Jesus. What do you well, think? You, you want to pop it, don't you? I, f I feel like. I feel like I should go with your instinct on that. Okay, I'll go. I'll pick the captain. I'll pick Pogba, and you can pick the vice. Okay, I'll Sterling because Sterling doesn't play midweek, and he's um, he's absolute goals and assists this season. So there we go. There we go. All right. Well, that's our entry. Um, yeah. So you can get your, if you go to, if you go to redsbet.com. I'm pleased with that. You know, yeah. I think we've got a fighting chance there. Yeah. If you go to redsbet, shall I press submit? It's fucking right. You will. It's flashing like it's begging me oh, to. Oh, do it. Pressure. We've got four and a half million left in the bank there. Oh, could have done anything. I know, seems, seems a waste. They should have walked all the completed to the top, surely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, thank you very much to Redsbet. They are our partners for 20, uh, 2018. Um, so, yeah, you, that's their Christmas fantasy. You can find it on the website. One entry free, uh, and it's worth 11 quid. If you fancy it, that's up to you. Uh, as always, be gamble aware, be gamble aware.org. Joined by Ken Early to talk about his fantastic piece uh, about uh, Jose Mourinho and his Napoleon complex this week. But I don't want to just focus on Mourinho in this because the bit that really got my attention, Ken, was was your casual sort of reference to Tony Pulis and his Napoleon obsession. The we have a thing with football managers think where we think they're all our dads or they're all remarkably wise or they're all this or they're all that. And don't get me wrong, they're all the mostly all intelligent men, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of Napoleon talk going around. 
Uh, <laughs> it really is. Well, it's not just uh, it's not just sort of Napoleon. I mean, the thing it's not it's not as though they just have a fascination with him, but what it is is fascination with top top leaders uh, of all kinds. Uh, I mean, if you think about um, uh, Ferguson, is probably is probably the best example actually. Uh, his uh, uh, he, he has a um, he he said at one point around the time of his retirement, maybe it was in one of his books, that he's got a section in his library at home reserved for uh, despots. Um, he basically <laughs> likes reading biographies the whole time. People people like uh, you know Mandela, uh, Rockefeller, Nixon, Kissinger, Brown, Blair, Mountbatten, Churchill, Clinton. Right, this is this is a quote from Ferguson a while back. Joseph Stalin is somebody he really loves because I mean, if you're talking about control, um, he's sort of right up there. But Napoleon uh, is popular, I think, because of all of these uh, great leaders until maybe Steve Jobs, who's, who's probably. Uh, who's become like a similar type of cult figure, you know, 200 years later, he's the one who uh, kind of best personifies the idea of pure genius. You know, I had lots of people believing this guy is really something pretty special. And I think that if you're, you know, already a kind of a top leader in your field, you know, like a, a Premier League football manager, um, you, you, you know, this is an idea which is quite attractive to you. You know, the idea that certain people are just, geniuses uh it's not simply uh you know all these factors like well you know look and upbringing and just uh how things kind of fell in your favor in life but it's actually it may in fact be just the the, the flash of genius that you bring to the world that is responsible for your success so i think that's why uh, a lot of the times these sorts of uh, well that and the fact that people want to read uh, biographies of other top, top leaders in order to find out what it was that made them successful, which I don't think always works out well. Like, say, for instance, uh, with people like Ferguson, who, who also is now in this category himself, I mean, that's why he keeps bringing out so many books, um, and Steve Jobs, people often will read about them and go, wow, this guy was often a complete arsehole. I should be an arsehole as well, uh, you know, if, if I want to emulate that success. When, in fact, um, this side of their personality was often mixed with other sides uh, and maybe it wasn't actually the arsehole side that did bring the success but it is the easiest to imitate so I don't know if, if uh, following these examples always leads people to a good place In the the next part of this becomes what that turns into is something that's if you're not careful, it's. I mean, the, the 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 astonishing and brilliant thing about Ferguson, as an example, is, and the bit that actually arguably doesn't get discussed enough, is how malleable he was, how open to other cultural influences, cultural influences he was, how open to the idea of actually devolving control at times he was. I mean, Carlos Queiroz was was heavily touted for the United job this week, uh, and part of the reason for that was because of the influence he had halfway through the previous decade at United, and I I think that I wonder if at times the the when you mention their despots, you know the idea of the despotic leader around football manager that 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 cultures and 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 the way people want to be worked with moves on shifts and changes, even in something as what can be at times primal as as, as a football dressing room. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, Ferguson, uh, I think, was the best manager at uh, at knowing what the important things to control were. Like, so for instance, what exactly are they doing in training tactically? Was not one of those things. So in that instance, he he was he was like, hmm, all right, uh, what is the best practice at the moment? You know, let's look around Europe and see what's happening. 
so you know Ferguson for for a long time had this kind of style uh you know say say late 90s man united with that 442 uh wingers you know high tempo style and then they got ripped to pieces by Real Madrid in in the 2000 Champions League when they thought they were going to win it uh for a second time in a row and he thought okay I've got to look at this again you know it wasn't it wasn't a case of well it didn't work that time but we know we're still the best so let's keep doing things the same way he thought, no, I'm, I'm not really wedded to this. I, it's not, I don't sort of identify, I, I don't personally identify with this style of play that we've got. Let's try and see what successful teams are doing now and see if we can bring in a bit of that. So that's why he ended up bringing in Keros. You know, Keros was like, his job was basically, okay, teach these guys how to defend. You know, the, the shit on the stick era of football. Yeah. Um, you know, Keros was Keros was the was the man who brought Man United into that. You know, and kind of culminating in that. Remember the 2009 season they won the league and didn't let in a goal for about three months and yep. had this run where they didn't let in a goal in Europe for. You know, this is a totally different, totally different team, totally different style from from the one that they they've been successful with ten years earlier. But Ferguson didn't care. You know, it was like the the, the main thing was like let's. Let's just win. I mean, let's do what, what it takes to win. Whereas I think someone like um, Mourinho has uh, has actually been much more inflexible. He's kind of like, let's keep pretty much doing things my way because my way is, you know, my, my way is... So he, he actually calls himself, he kind of styles himself to be a, a pragmatist. Pulis is a bit like this as well. Yep. A pragmatist. But actually, they're they're like total ideologues. You know, they're they're kind of... Pulis is a romantic... He's like, you know, football is about kicking the ball to touch, uh, getting close to their box, launching it in there, and having big lads jumping. And that's that's my vision of the game. And I won't, I, you know, if someone tries to tries to play a five yard pass in an area of the pitch where I don't want it, that guy's not going to play the next game. You know what I mean? This is really sort of inflexible sort of attitude that they have, which they which they kind of pretend is actually pragmatic. But it, Ferguson, I think, was the pragmatic one. He was the one who was like, yeah, you know, we can change. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to feel any less of a man if my football team five years later is playing in a slightly different way from the way that it was uh, when I was first successful. So, yeah, it's it's kind of – but not, not a lot of people have that have that flexibility, I think. Uh, as you said, I think he was the, he was the best one at that. Um, you mentioned it. It was interesting you just used the phrase less of a man. The other thing that comes through this sort of this talk around leadership – is it it's it's steeped staggered in in huge quantities of masculinity that's the uh, the, the other thing that that sort of that that comes through and, and and makes me sort of wonder i mean you know Mourinho's all but basically said footballers aren't the men they used to be uh, that appears to be a massive part of this yeah. is you know the, the the bollocks are smaller these days for these characters uh, I'm, I'm looking at you know there was there was an awful panel uh, on sky sports last night with tim sherwood and paul Merce and, and they were decrying in many different senses. You know, they were all but saying they use moisturiser these days. These lads, I do wonder about the, the the masculinity in football around all of this is uh, is fascinating. And and the Napoleon thing is part of that. This this whole thing is all about how big your bollocks are. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it is amazing. Like um, I mean, recently um, our podcast did a, did a, like a book club thing with Eamon Dunphy, right? Eamon Dunphy's book, Only a Game, which uh, which is like his diary of playing for Millwall in the mid-70s, 73, 74 season, I think. And uh, it's a very good book. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty well known. I'm sure some people listen to it. Uh, 
which, you know, this, <laughs> the, the thing that struck me about it was he's got the edition of this book that I saw, he's got an introduction. He writes an introduction in 1986, by which stage he'd been working sort of professionally as a journalist for, you know, most of the previous decade. And it's, and it's really well written. Like, he's a really good writer at that stage. But it's hilarious the extent to which it, the whole tone of it is the game's gone. <laughs> uh, the game's gone. They've, got, they've gone soft. You know, in 86, like, you know, the, the great man of the past, the, the, great, the great hard man, the coal mining, shipbuilding men uh, are drifting into history. And now what we've got is these hairspray wearing, you know, you, you know, that's champagne sort of Charlies. So it's, it's exactly, exactly. So it's just something that every set of middle aged men resentfully thinks that their youth fades into memory. Oh, these, you know, <laughs> <laughs> these guys, you know, Pogba or whatever. Uh, you know, they're not like the men in my day. And, and literally, it doesn't matter when. I mean, Pogba is going to be doing the same thing. I mean, not, not everybody necessarily is, but there is, a, there is a 70% chance that in 15 years' time, Paul Pogba will be sitting in some TV studio talking about how the game has gone <laughs> and reminiscing about his, his time at Man United uh, when, you know, it was, it was, it was real men only uh, and some of, the, some, of, some of the stuff. But you can't, you can't talk to these guys. People have changed. Society's changed, hasn't it? Society's changed. So society hasn't changed, really. People haven't changed. Old men always look at young men and think to themselves, you know, uh, these guys are soft. Uh, also that they're stupid. Uh, in fact, lots of contradictory things. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, <laughs> you know they're, they're soft, they're, they're dumb, they're, uh, you know, they're, they, lack, they lack sensitivity, they lack class, uh, they lack respect and dignity, you know, all, all the stuff. So basically it's just, it's just uh, generally old guys uh, grumbling about... Um, about uh, their replacements. In the, I suppose, football manager, last thing I want to sort of touch on is football managers have got to get their inspiration from somewhere. And, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's sort of that, that, the idea that, the, that they are sat around thinking of these grandiose historical figures and comparing themselves to them, whereas the, you know, the two defeats to Huddersfield and Cardiff back-to-back away from getting the sack, um, which very much is not the situation when you are running the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, but... You know there is. They've got to get their inspiration from somewhere. But a, a lot of this stuff does feel sort of does feel sort of grandiose one way or another. But then I think there's a positive of it, isn't there? Which is that the it's nice to think our football managers are trying to root themselves in in some degree of historical tradition. It's a nice reminder that you know football managers do indeed read and engage, and they are active in the world for all the talk of Guardiola this Guardiola that he goes to New York for a year, does some mad stuff, gets the fella in from water polo. There is there is something quite quite heartening about the fact that you can look at it both ways simultaneously that it could just be a load of bullshit on the one hand but on the other hand they are sort of th- they're like the rest of us thrashing about looking for some inspiration and guidance oh yeah uh, yeah I think so and I, I, I kind of felt that particularly with Shearless you know we're looking at his uh, his uh, interests uh, I mean the, the funny thing that feel this is like a lot of the some of his uh, historical uh, musings uh, happened at his Crystal Palace unveiling. You know, I don't know how, how they got onto this. Like, well, it's just, uh, it, it might have been, it might, it might have been something like, Tony, what have you been doing with yourself since you know you left? So that was, and he was like, well, you know, I've been to. I think he'd gone to the Crimea or something. He was sort of like researching the the Crimean War. He wanted to see uh, some of the battlefields. Um, you know, and and his what he had to say about Napoleon, I thought was actually quite. He was quite sharp. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, this guy was amazing. Like, what a great general. 
you know, he destroyed everyone in battle. And uh, yeah. I suppose that reflects a bit like me as a football manager. We're both tactical geniuses. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that. Um, I mean, he, he, he compared him to uh, Churchill. And Churchill is obviously one of these people who a lot of, pe- a lot of, uh, a lot of people, you know, um, uh, you know, especially in America, actually, but also in, in the UK as well, I think, kind of just look at as well. That's, you know, that's, the to- that's a top leader. Yeah. Uh, the, this guy really, this guy really got what it was all about. As opposed to, you know, he was like a, uh, you know, a, a whiskey sodden uh, racist who, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's other things that you can say about Churchill, but the, but the thing that Pulis, uh picked out was that Churchill was always part of the establishment. I mean, Churchill was born in like Blenheim Palace or some somewhere like that. Uh, you know, he was he was from the nobility. He had this kind of sense of entitlement that you get when you're a part of that sort of one percent imperial class that at that point rules the whole world. You know, he never doubted himself for a second. Whereas Napoleon was like a hick from Corsica. You know, or like a you know from a sort of a, a family that was sinking into irrelevance with a terrible accent, who could barely speak French, who everybody obviously looked down on uh, because he was a foreigner, uh, or at least seemed that way to them. Uh, who kind of nevertheless got to the top. So this is what Pulis, t- Tony Pulis of Newport, uh, liked about the story of Napoleon. You know what I mean? Which I thought was just it was a cut above the usual sort of, uh, and also the fact that he was able to look at Churchill and go, yeah, you know, great leader, but. Uh, Born with a silver spoon in his mouth, you know, a bit, <laughs> a bit of a sort of Pep Guardiola uh, in that sense, you know, uh, to the manner born. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I like that. I mean, the, the, the reason I ended up talking about this is because Mourinho himself brought up Hegel. Now, I don't know if Mourinho, Mourinho was literally just looking through books of quotations to find things that might seem to reflect well on him or that he could pull out in a press conference. I don't know if that was if that was Mourinho's game, or if he actually did read this, like, very dense and unreadable... I mean, I don't know if you've read Hegel. I certainly haven't. I mean... I have read Hegel, but there's no laughs. When I say I've read Hegel, I've probably read, like, 14 pages of Hegel and gone, right, that'll do. Uh, Is this really... Are are we sure this is still relevant? Is there there perhaps a more recent... uh, Plus, where he writes in shorter sentences, he might sort of get across <laughs> some of the same thing. You know, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, so he obviously, at least to some extent, was uh, doing this. I know Ferguson was. I don't know if everyone does. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember Klopp talking about it much. Has Klopp said anything about like uh, historical inspirations? Not as far as I can see. Not as far as I can see. I'd like to get them all around, have a pint with them all, and just let's uh, let, let's work out who's who's inspired by who here. I think Klopp, my Klopp thing is I, I did something on LFC TV this week. This has become ridiculously conversational, by the way, but let's just stick with it. I did something on LFC TV this week where I said, uh, where I basically said, uh, we're in this for a good time, just like the manager. And that is sort of my outlook on Liverpool's manager is that he's basically in this for a big laugh. Um, and I think yeah. that that's the, yeah. so I don't think he is necessarily uh, sitting around reading Hegel. Uh, not to say that there's, that there's a, that's a better or a worse thing yeah. than anything else, but yeah, I think he'd probably just rather well, be it kind of gets to this question of like of how important is, is a football manager's personality, right? I mean, there was a piece I don't think I during the week by, uh, do you know Simon Cooper, who yeah. uh, writes for the, he's a, you know, he's written a, a, a bunch of books, uh, writes for the Financial Times, and he was right, he's, he wrote a good piece in the Financial Times about uh, why Mourinho was, was now a failure, basically. And he was talking about, uh, he was saying like, um, 
you know, his, he, you know, when he arrived, his tactic when he when he sort of first burst on the scene, his tactics were state of the state of the art. You know, he, he was working very hard. He was thinking very uh, creatively. He came up with some tactics that really worked. Porto, you know, Chelsea at first, uh, and then he kind of became successful. Simon Laurels. Tactics became outdated, outdated. He didn't sort of redevelop them or update them. And, uh, and you know, a few years later, he's, he's obsolete and he's kind of a busted flush. Uh, and he also said his personality, you know, which is with people, you know, spends uh, acres and acres of newsprint, whatever, analyzing, is a red herring. And I thought, I couldn't actually disagree with that more. Like, his personality is central to the whole problem. You know, if it was just a matter of his tactics, having been outdated uh, or, or, you know, other people having caught up with and surpassed them, that would have been an easy problem to solve with a different personality. You know, <laughs> just read some of the bit, read some of the like behind the scenes stuff, you know, behind the scenes stories of Mourinho at United that have been coming out this week. Some of this stuff is just amazing. His, like, his behavior, his attitude to the people around him, his treatment of sort of underlings, his treatment obviously of players, his kind of paranoid uh, reactions to things that happen is, is ramping up of, of of situations that you know okay maybe weren't great to start with but we're just making them worse why why turn everything into a drama a confrontation you know like this personality is that is actually 70 percent of the problem okay if you're looking at tactics they can be evolved i mean clap i think there's only clap faced in his career you know at, at dortmund obviously things kind of went south in the last season there I mean, they they got it back together towards the end of the season, but it was like people were at that point saying, "Oh, this this high pressing style mm. seems to knock at the players a bit, doesn't it?" You know, other teams have worked it out or they're copying it. The players are always injured; they're moaning about how much running they have to do. You know, he's passed his sell by date. You know what I mean? And and and, and maybe the, maybe this happened at Liverpool to some extent in, in like, oh, other teams have worked Liverpool allowed. You know, they're, they're not scoring three goals a game anymore. But look at look at how they're evolving. You know what I mean? He's kind of, they're playing, they've, they've got lots of different strengths to their bow. He's worked on different styles of play. You know, they're looking yeah. high possession football now, kind of patient football. They don't need to run. They don't need to press anywhere near as much as they did. This is because he's somebody who's capable of going, all right, this isn't working. What do we need to do? As opposed to, this isn't working. Which of you has betrayed me? You know what I mean? That's, which, is, which, is what, which is what Mourinho seems to be doing. Which one of you is going to be the victim that I, that I throw out to the media to explain uh, this defeat. Who's going to be uh, this week's scapegoat? That's a personality issue. So, uh, so, so I, I did think it was a good piece. So I don't think it's worth reading. But, but I, I do think these guys' personalities are still important. A positive one like Klopp or, or Pochettino can sort of overcome a lot of problems that a kind of a more unusual personality like Mourinho gets blown up by. Uh, fantastic to speak to Ken as ever we need to get him over and do something more long form out of all this madness uh, always a joy uh, never a chore his piece in the Irish Times about uh, Mourinho and Napoleon I'll make sure we tweet it out somewhere at the Anfield Wrap but just find it yourselves you know how Google works uh, Ken very quick how's second captains going you're having a lot of fun oh yeah I'm going good just uh, coming up to uh, Christmas now so um, got a few things in the can <laughs> got a few things in the can to be to, uh, to to bring out over over the coming days, uh, which I hope will keep everyone entertained over festival. Second captain's second. I'm only five euros. There we are. A month. 
five euros a month. The Anfield wrap, five pounds a month. It's And the exchange rate, trust me, it's doing its best to even that out. Thank you very much to Ken. Uh, let's crack back on with everything else. Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons having a chat about Football Flash, uh, the app that we think you should download for all your football news. And we've got our quiz contestant on the line, Andrew Nice. We met Andrew years ago, didn't we, John? We did. We were just talking. We didn't realise we don't pick who, who kind of comes on. Um, Lizzie, Lizzie does all the work now on this, which is great. Um, and, and Lizzie said, said, oh, we've got, we've got this guy from Australia, Andrew Nice. And I was like, bloody hell, blast in the past. Because the very first kind of Anfield rap, kind of, well, no, no, sorry. Bray was obviously Bray first. Apologies to you, the Bray 500. But uh, the first tour we did was was Australia, way back in the sort of Brendan Rogers um, days. Summer 2013. Uh, 13, yeah. And uh, Andrew was one of the uh, the Reds we met over there. He was indeed. So, Andrew, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? All, we're all good, all good here. As John said before, Reds are top, so can't <laughs> argue with the Reds being top. Uh, also, uh, have you downloaded Football Flash? Yeah, I have. Do you find it useful? Yeah, actually, it is it's really good. Though. You just automatically update on the, the latest news. Obviously, being this side of the world, though, I've had to turn the notifications off. So <laughs> <laughs> Four in the morning, you yeah, get... the match. Yeah. Four in the morning, you're getting uh, the thoughts of Dejan Lovren. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The Dom Solanke yeah, update exactly. you've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, let's 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 crack on uh, and ask you the ten questions. Eight to get a piece of Anfield rap merch uh, sent all the way across the globe. Um, so here's the first one for you. Uh, Liverpool have drawn which German side in the last 16 of the Champions League? Bayern Munich. Yeah, easy. Easy start. Easy. Uh, who are Liverpool said to be making a transfer decision over in January? Uh, Dom Solanke. It is Dom Solanke. Two well from two. Mo Salah took part in a photo shoot for which fashion magazine this week? Ooh, I didn't know this. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I know it now because the answer's written in front of me. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been busy. <laughs> GQ It is GQ Oh I'll tell you what Where do you pull that from Brilliant stuff uh, Three from three which... <laughs> which defender has come out And claimed Liverpool uh, Can go the whole season unbeaten uh, Lovren It is Dejan Lovren Well in Dejan Lovren yeah, Made up with it uh, Liverpool have been linked With Italian forward Insigne oh, I didn't even know that uh, Honestly I'm, I'm crap at my job You know John <laughs> I've got a clue What the Reds are doing I'm reading this now And I'm going Oh yeah uh, <laughs> After mentioning that In a future show <laughs> Yeah 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 That's useful uh, Liverpool have been linked With Italian uh, Genuinely I have been busy I had, Honestly yesterday You know this the, 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 the Mads Corbin thing Yeah like I had no idea at nine pm, ten pm. You know what I mean? That's, That's how much. Good going because yeah. there was a lot of it on Twitter. Yeah, I had not. I was like, yeah, but I then by that point I got in it. And like when I would like stage three of it, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I was like, yeah. he must. This must be awful. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Liverpool have been linked with Italian forward Insigne. Uh, which Serie A so, Serie A side does he play for, Andrew? Napoli. Brilliant five from five flying here. Uh, which former Liverpool striker supposedly uh, supposedly being the operative word leaked the League Cup semi final draw before it took place this week? Uh, Craig Bellamy. Six that from was six. Mad, by the way, uh, I did, did miss that as well. It was mad. I've, I've had a quiz to write. <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was it mad, was it? It was just he just said very matter of factly that they're playing better next round. And it was like he'd sort of got it wrong. And then, and then they did. But were they two set? Were they, were, they, were they playing each other on the same night? Were Burton and, and Man City both playing games on the same yeah, night? Yeah, So that might be why. So I think he's got into his head that these two now play each other. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, because yeah, footy isn't all a fix. No, 
But, um, you know, but it was just a bit mad. Okay. Uh, which United legend has taken over from Jose Mourinho as caretaker manager this week? Uh, Solskjaer. Solskjaer is right. Uh, Deli Ali was hit by what object in the League Cup on Wednesday night? Water bottle. Yeah, plastic bottle, that'll do. You're on eight from eight, you've won. But let's just do the rest anyway for good order. Uh, who is bottom of the Premier League table? Fulham. It is Fulham. And the other one, which I skipped over because we gave it away by having a chat. Uh, we've got to be more disciplined, John. Uh, which championship side will be facing Man City in the semi-finals of the League Cup? Christ. <laughs> Uh, well, they're not championship to League One, aren't they? But it's better than Albion. We think the top of the championship. That was an argument in the office, and to the point, I'm going to check it for you now. They're not top of the championship. No, sorry, the, the bottom of the championship. Sorry, we think they're the bottom of the championship. But let me double check. Um, no, you're right. They are League One. Um, there we go. League One. They are. 15th in League One. Excellent. I'll tell you, one eleven out of 10. That's you there. <laughs> Can't argue with those facts. Re- really, really good going. He's top of that leaderboard. If yeah. we're doing the top gear one. If, yeah, yeah. Or all the, uh, the, Saturday kitch- the Saturday Kitchen Omelette Challenge. Oh, yeah. That's, the, that's yeah. my favourite of the leaderboards. I just feel it's a bit of a blag, that, to be honest with you. Just sloppy like, eggs I, I, on a plate, I wouldn't eat many of them omelettes. No, sloppy eggs on a plate, yeah. um, which, you know, is, is my culinary style of cooking. <laughs> but not everybody's. Uh, excellent stuff, Andrew. We'll make sure we get it. Is there any item of merch you want in particular? Uh, no, I'll have to have another look now, won't I? I, I mean, don't, don't ask for any of the new stuff because we haven't got it. It's all, uh, it's all in somewhere else now. But uh, <laughs> no, just uh, yeah. get, get in touch with Lizzie, give her your size and your uh, address, and we'll get it out uh, probably January now, mate, to be honest. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> can't argue the facts, can you? There, um, I don't it's know. I'm with friends. I can say that. I, I, John, I can't work out whether or not we're coming off this segment well or badly <laughs> at this stage. You say you don't know anything about football <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Spent all honestly, Andrew. The, the Anfield App Christmas quiz will be out on Christmas Eve, and it's an absolute belter. But God, it didn't have to take some pulling together. Uh, so I, I was just lived in a cave for two days. Uh, anyway, Andrew. <laughs> uh, by the way, we're going to beat Wolves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There we well, are. Thing to worry about. So, yeah, 2-0. 2-0, no. t- sounds. Up comfortable the reds. Comfortable 2-0. Let's get back over to everything else. Cheers, Andrew. And it is John Gibbons now, and I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by Andy Cheshire, who uh, I met last week at the FSF Awards, the Anfield Wrapped in win on the FSF Awards, but uh, one club that did win, which was fantastic, was Kers and Ashton for the sort of unique, if you like, work that they do sort of around the community and Andy's involvement and that. So, well, first of all, Andy, congratulations. Uh, thanks very much, John. And nice for, I guess, for a club like Curzon to to get recognition. You know, they're not a club that people around the world will know, mm-hmm. but obviously, obviously doing a lot of good stuff, kind of off the pitch, and and nice for the FSF to recognise that last week. Ah, it was brilliant. I mean, they're not a club that anyone in Northwest England really knows, to be yeah. fair. So, um, it, it's it's quite an overwhelming um, acknowledgement of the work that we do, really. Uh, um, you know, we, we need we need to be engaged with the local community to, for a number of reasons, both for the social conscience um, aspect, but also to try and drum up support. You know, we're a very low supported club, so and competing with much larger clubs that are full time and what have you in our league. So it's nice to be able to give something back, but also try and increase, you know, that recognition of the football club. And people listening will obviously tell from your accent that you're from London originally. No, you're obviously from Scotland. <laughs> from from Scotland. From Scot- I can't even disguise it. <laughs> no, yeah, you're, 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 you're a Glasgow boy, you're a Celtic fan kind of originally. So how, how did you find yourself sort of down in Curzon? How did you, did, you, did you get involved with the football club? 
Uh, well, you're not going to like this, but I moved from, I, I did my degree in community education and I was doing gang intervention and what have you in Glasgow and then managing a couple of community centres in Glasgow before I moved down to take up the community and education manager role at FC United of Manchester. So I apologise for that. Um, but <laughs> But at the same time, the reason for that was mainly because of the you know, they're quite vocal about the community aspect of that football club and it was something I sort of bought into straight away. Um, I suppose another aspect of it is I'd been continually in conversations with Celtic Football Club about the lack of direct community work that they did on their doorstep, you know. We you know, I worked in I worked in a school that's sort of um adjacent to Celtic Park and there was no support at all from um and they're actually the only club in Glasgow that supported some of the work we were doing was Partick Thistle. So I kind of had a bee in my bonnet, so to speak, and made me want to 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 prove to people that football clubs have a, a you know a massive say in, in what 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 they can do in the local community. And so, do you think big clubs have a have a lot to kind of learn? Whether they can learn from 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 smaller clubs in terms of you know you talk about what what cares and they're doing. Example, just outside Manchester, and the possibility of that being you know ideas being picked up by by bigger clubs in the area, and the fact that you know. With very limited resources, actually, a football club can do quite a lot. Definitely, without a doubt. I mean, to be fair, the Celtic Foundation have done an incredible amount of work over the last few years. So I'd be insulting them if I said they weren't doing it at the moment. Um, but you know, when see one of the one of the things we did that sort of got picked up on by much larger clubs was the Christmas initiative. I was in talks with a, a couple of homeless charities in Manchester. Manchester's got a, a ridiculously high percentage of sleepers at the moment. Um, and they were speaking about the, the only place open for them to get a shower on Christmas Day was a venue that had two hot showers. And I thought, well, as a football club and a football stadium, we've got four changing rooms. Let's bust them in on Christmas Day. And that sort of, it just grew arms and legs, really. So, you know, we had nurses giving them a health check and we had hairdressers in doing their hair. And, you know, we had a, a huge number of rough sleepers come to the ground to enjoy a cooked breakfast and what have you. And, you know, I'm glad to say that since I've left there, that they're coming on to the third year in a row now of, of doing that. But we were the first club in England to do it, and you're already seeing across all the leagues that clubs are actually doing that on Christmas Day now. So it's just a small example of how smaller clubs can lead the way, I suppose. That's fantastic. And I mean, me and you were talking last week about about the idea of of, of the, the bigger clubs, if you like, and, and Liverpool and, and Celtic are, are great examples of huge football clubs in working class cities who are still playing in, you know. In built-up areas, in residential areas, and 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 sometimes, yep. sometimes these these football clubs can seem very close, and then sometimes they might as well be a thousand miles away for the for the connect with the community <laughs> yep. really, and and that's the challenge, isn't it? That you know, I think I think recently when when Liverpool applied for uh, well Anfield, if you like, applied to do to do sorts of concerts in the area, when it was it was knocked back by the local residents, and it, well, well, it was knocked back by the council after protests from the from the local residents, and uh, well, objections. Protests is probably exaggerating, mm-hmm. and I think a few people were a bit surprised that the 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 residents would 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 kind of do that from from the outside looking in, but for those from those residents' points of view, they. They actually get as as much kind of issues with the football club being on the doorstep as the, as the, as they do kind of benefits, and it's making sure that that more of those benefits are there, so people see these huge football clubs as a as a nice neighbour, as a welcome neighbour, as a as a neighbour that's going to improve their lives rather than just the fact that the only thing they actually see is football fans turning up once or twice, you know, every every couple of weeks, you know, making loads of litter and then disappearing again. 
that's it. I was going to make a point in that, you know, that both Celtic and Liverpool have got fans that travel from across the globe to go to matches. So, you know, but I don't think it, there's a huge amount of respect. I mean, I'm thinking of the Celtic side of things. You know, people are going to the game every fortnight getting absolutely steaming, urinating in community gardens, what have you. And for local residents, that's not that's not appealing in the slightest. So, you know, there's not, there's not much, to, there's not a huge amount the club can do about that, really. And it needs to be, it needs to be driven down from the club down to the supporters that, you know, that they need to be respectful for the local community. And I suppose initiatives like what we're trying to do on a, a much lesser scale might, might help embed that sort of social conscience amongst the supporters. Yeah, and it's that that idea of of seeing the area. I mean, we talk about. I mean, for for Liverpool point of view, you know, the ground's called Anfield, the area's called Anfield, and it's it's about for all of us, kind of, you know, treating the area as as, as much as respect as as we as we treat the ground really, and it's not just somewhere. You know, for for a lot of people, it's it's where they live, and we've got to remember that's exactly. also when we're parking, when we're when we're approaching, when we you know, if you just you know, throwing a can on the floor or whatever because you think, well, I'm, I'm at the match. You know, the rules are different. Well, that's well, that's someone's front garden, isn't it? To be fair, me, I've done it. I've been there myself. You know, I travelled <laughs> sure to Livingston, which is only half an hour away. So, um, I, you know, I can't. I'm, I'm being a right hypocrite if I said I never ever did any of those things. But um, I suppose when you're working within a football club, you, you begin to have a, a bit more of a, I don't know, a bit more, a bit more of an affiliation. Um, with the club and with the local community, and and how your actions can really disturb those around. And you know, you're, every every time you go to a match, you're representing a football club. And it took me probably 20 years to realise that, but um, there's, there's still quite a lot a lot of work that can be done to educate supporters of um, larger teams, I suppose, in that sense. So, what have you got your eye on in terms of what what you're trying to do with not just Cares and but but kind of other football clubs? I know you. Sort of part, at least part based back in Scotland now, and 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 kind of doing bits yeah. there. Is is there any particular initiatives that you're looking to encourage football clubs to to kind of get involved with? I've got, I suppose, an example would be I'm, I'm flying out to another one of your friends. I'm flying to Rome in a couple of days. Um, I'm going to do a project with a football club in uh, the, the Italian third division called Arezzo. They're based in Tuscany. So basically that's derived from uh, my friend Federico and I. He 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 was my chef last year when I opened the doors on Christmas Day at Cousin Ashton. And then he's went back to try and his, his football club was going into financial meltdown. So he was going back to try and help save it. And then he asked me, you know, he wants to do some community initiatives there. What should he do? And I was like, well, you need to look at the issues surrounding your club. There's no point in replicating what we're doing at Curzon because every community is different. So with a bit of research, he's, he's found out that the main issues facing them at the moment, they don't have a huge issue with homelessness, they don't have a huge um, issue with integration or refugees asylum seekers. One of the main issues is that young people are finishing their schooling and they're not getting any work experience and their unemployment rate is going through the roof. So yeah. what we're doing is looking at doing a small exchange programme so we can bring Italian students to, to Ashton. They can do their FA Level 1 coaching badge. They can work in um, uh, one of our charitable partners, Infinity Initiative. We've got like a pay where you can afford cafe so they can go and get some work experience in there. Um, and gain some, you know, accredited qualifications they can take back and then deliver courses in Italy and hopefully find some work. So I suppose every club's different, but it's about really understanding what the needs are in your local community before you try and do anything with it, you know? I mean, it's interesting you talk about the kind of the the international element there because I think we had someone in from City of Liverpool and they were talking about games that they put on five-a-side games they put on where, where local lads, if, if that's the right way, play against asylum seekers and, and it's a case of, you know, that yeah. there might be language barriers, but, you know, we can all have a game of football together. And I think seeing football in that sense as well, obviously it's been a pretty horrific week for those of us who thought football had kind of <laughs> moved, moved, past, moved yeah. past, past racism. But I think, 
you know, it's 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 a reminder as well of of, of the positives that football can should be able to bring really in bringing people together and reminding people there's more that you know that, that, we, that we have in common that that kind of that, that we don't and, and and using football in that way as well, kind of especially in communities where 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 racist groups can can kind of target people who who are struggling is, is really important as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Glasgow's a city that's absolutely divided by football, and yet I preach about how football can unite people all the time. I think John Barnes articulated himself fantastically the other morning on uh, The Breakfast Show about how the media do fuel racial tension and do have a massive part to play as well. But, you know, f- football's, got, football's a great tool for integration. It's a universal language. brings people together naturally. There doesn't even need to be any conversation. It just It just works. Um, and so these these projects are starting now. You can see them all over all over England and all over Europe at the moment. Where there, um, there's projects, that, for example, the Lampedusa project in Hamburg, where uh, refugees came over from the island of Lampedusa and were getting discriminated against, and all of a sudden now have a, a team that are affiliated in the in the pyramid structure in Germany. So you know the, the, the these projects are, are vital, I think, in terms of integration. But they're they're only a starting point. You know, from that you can then develop all sorts of different services to support them. We're doing it at Curzon at the moment, actually. Um, we've managed to get a, a project set up that's funded through CERCO, who have got the, the main government contract in terms of housing for asylum seekers and refugees. And um, they're actually funding us to, to put on a, an open session just called Inclusive Football for anyone who wants to come down and play on a Thursday. Um, but likewise, on top of that, we've now got our, our partners Infinity Initiatives to come down and give information, support, guidance, counselling or what have you to those who need it. So yes, they can come down and play football, they get a free kit, they get free boots, but afterwards they can get fed and they can get some counselling or advice or you know, some help in terms of their day-to-day lives. Sounds brilliant. Uh, thanks a lot, for Andy, for joining us. And obviously, congratulations again for the award, not just Thank to you, but all of Cares and Won. And if you want to see more about what Andy's up to, as he's interna- Mr. International now, um, he's uh, <laughs> at Andy St. Pauli on Twitter. So do, do give him a follow. And yeah, I think we've all got a lot to learn from clubs like Cares and what they're doing. But yeah, in the meantime, back to Neil. Back with Dan and Amelia, but more than that, back with Mike and Ben to talk about Mike Lowry and what you've been up to. Um, what have you been up to? For the listeners? <laughs> you've been on tour. I know you've been on tour. You've got a new song out right now, which yeah. is called Tesla, which features distortion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a, you've got things going on, but for our listeners, a full European tour. Yeah, yeah. It was good fun, you know. Mm. Was it? It was yeah. really good. Yeah. But it's, this year's been um, a quiet year for us in terms of like gigging. Um, we uh, we've spent a lot of it like kind of just hidden away in the <laughs> studio, like little creatures. Um, <laughs> Uh, just working on loads of new music and stuff, and and we did this this European tour like last month, yeah, a month before or something. Made in um, the nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it was just oh, oh. catch that good work, <laughs> yeah, professional, Mike, professional. Um, so it was really good because, as I say, you know, we haven't gigged much, so it was great to get out there and like connect with like the fan base and stuff again. I think when you kind of in the studio and you're not really seeing um, the fan base and like how your music's connecting, it's like almost like you get a a bit kind of disconnected with it so to to get out there and see people and have that connections really yeah, good. so you've been working on a lot of new stuff is there a, is there an album in the works for 2019 um i think we're looking to do more of um single launches so yeah. we would like to just release single 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 again as ben said it's because because we haven't been on the road as much this year we're kind of like not sure where the connection is with the fans and the music obviously when we've done the tour we could see they're still loving all the stuff we do but with this new music coming out instead of putting out a whole body of work we're like yeah release a single release a single release a single and to be fair that's 
the music industry nowadays is like a singles game. Yeah, I mean, you've only ever because you, in the back you did the EP. Was it the show or was it Mood? That was the EP. Mood was the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a is the then sort of just thinking right get three four five just new hits new hits for them to get behind new new things for the, for, for the audience to listen to mm. so that when you go out so you're going to play more and out next year you're going to go yeah. to do another tour yeah yeah definitely, yeah, definitely. it's just um, like being more consistent with the releases because it's such like a singles market these days with the streaming it's like you put a track out yeah. on New Music Friday and then by the time it gets the next mu- New Music Friday all the new tracks are out and yours is like <laughs> forgotten about so it's um, would you rather be able to do an album like you are you, your thing yeah. Made in the nineties, you know yeah. what I mean. Would you rather be able to do an old school nineties album? Oh or? yeah, definitely. Yeah. Love to. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's every sort of musician sort of dream is the album. That's like your whole body of work. But again, I feel like I don't know for for you as much, but for for me, like an album's like sort of the final sort of part of like <laughs> yeah. Because have you noticed when like big artists do an album, they like chill for a bit after it. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's you know what I mean. It takes, takes all the energy, <laughs> it, yeah. and that's so. I think that's like I'd like to sort of get to a place where we can do that. And I'm like yeah. That's thing, but before that, yeah, it's like it's about like you said, do like four or five singles, release them, and then put it all together. Um, when you're going out to do in Europe, do you see differences in the audience? Different people go for different tracks, different different moods, different feels. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I think like the track we just put out with uh, Distortion is um, it's a lot more kind of like UK vibe, like that kind of whole um, genre of music is really popular right now. But over in Europe, it's not as much. Um, so like when you know when we did drop that song in like London and Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool, it was like people went crazy for it. Whereas in over in Europe, you know they were more geared to like other tracks. Um, so yes, definitely like different different songs hit different crowds. Is there a when you get to play these places? Do you get to I always I just the thing I always know. I love for instance I love seeing tour dates and trying to work out where where people have took the rest days and yeah. why. Mm. Do you get to spend much time in the in the cities in the European cities or are you very much just sort of right get back on get back going and and, and do it all over again? I think yeah I think it just it depends on it depends on how yeah. how the, how the like the tour sort of set out and stuff. So we got we got one day off didn't we? Yeah we try and be professional. If we've got a show the next day it's like yeah not 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 going on mm. that but we made sure yeah. we had the day off in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, can't argue with the facts on that. <laughs> but it is, um, there is then when you when you're going right the way through on all the new stuff that you're producing. Mm. Is it nerve wracking to have to do new track break, new track break, new track break from the point of view of every single time? So when if you could just release ten of them, for instance, you get mm-hmm. to release ten of them. But if it's one, it's like right, what's the feel? You just said there, for instance, one's got a more of a UK vibe. Maybe the mm-hmm. next one won't. Mm-hmm. Is it every single time you're thinking, oh, let's see how, how this goes? New music, new music Friday, like you say. Let's see how we get on. Yeah. Checking the numbers, checking the streaming numbers. Is this going? Are we getting talked about? I mean, that is you're putting yourself in a social media hellhole. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it is. I know it is true. When you when you're doing that, it's and like like Ben said, you sort of you notice different people connect to different tracks so yeah you sort of it's actually surprising sometimes you release a song and you might even feel like sort of mediocre about it it's like oh that'll get definitely them type of people going to listen to it or like this definitely going to blow in the UK and you find out everyone in America or everyone there is listening to it so you can't it's like so difficult to tell nowadays yeah. unless it's very very specific um, but it, it can, yeah, it's, it's exciting as well do you know what I mean you, you put a track out and then you see like it's people reacting well to it and you're like ah oh, it's amazing. You did you did what extra this week or last week? Well, it came out this week. You did last week. Yeah. Um, it, how was that? Yeah, it was good fun. It was fun. good fun. We did. Um, there's a guy uh, DJ on there called DJ Ace, and he does like the R and B show on a Thursday, um, and he does. He has this kind of a this indie record label that he's starting up called Record Box, 
and they do like a showcase, like say like quarterly through the year. Um, so we played at that last week in in London, and then um, and then came on a show after that. So yeah, it was good fun. Uh, I didn't know this, so uh, I was I was told this today that you supported Bieber. In yeah, 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 just keep in touch. Um, on the text all the time, not, all the with, not with us two, but one of the other guys, Akira, has his number. They were like, they were like bezies when we yeah, were on tour. Yeah. And, um, and then yeah, we like we kind of we uh, we finished tour and we didn't like hear from him for for a while. Uh, and then Akira came into to the studio one day and he was like, I had like this like FaceTime off like an unknown number yesterday. And it was like a weird American number, and it was Bieber just rang him out the blue and was like, "How's life, man? How's how's the baby? How's the band? All this stuff." And we was like, "That is just the weirdest, weirdest, most surreal thing ever." Mm. Did so, you get um, to meet his pet monkey? No. No, we met oh, a dog. Didn't we, we met. A, he had a pet okay. dog. He had a, he had a pet Chow Chow. Okay. Oh, Chow Chows are the best. Yeah, it was the yeah. worst dog. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. No yeah. one could go near it because it just used to bite, bite everyone it. all the time. It's a stink but as well. It did look. It looked very cute. It looked very cute. But um, yeah. Is there anyone else you think you had your own headline tour around Europe? Have you got yeah. a couple of things you wouldn't mind? Another couple of few people you like the opportunity to support if it comes up next year? Anything on the works? Yeah, def- definitely. definitely. There's a couple of things that are kind of in the pipeline, yeah. waiting, to, waiting to find out if they happen or not. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's always good fun because you know doing your own tours is is great. Um, I don't think there's a better feeling than that really because mm. when you see people who've come out just to see you, it yeah. makes it more special. But obviously, you know doing support tours really benefit you because it's like you play into like a whole new fan base who don't necessarily know who you are. So mm. it's a good opportunity to like grow. How should people find you? And if you want to listen, where's the best way to go about it? Um, the internet all over yes <laughs> it's just in our google um, Mike Lowry it's M-I-C-L-O-W-R-Y we got Instagram Twitter Facebook YouTube, Spotify everything. YouTube everything Yeah. and the new song's called Tesla yeah yep. Tesla we've also just dropped um, a track from our live album which we recorded in Pastry Studios earlier this year so got that out there as well Mm. Loads of little bits to find uh, mm-hmm. to get stuck into. Uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, we're going to talk about thanks wolves in a minute. So, <laughs> so it's not one of them when I'm going to sh- shut you out through the door now. Uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, we'll do a little thing. It'll probably be an advert of some description, uh, and then we'll talk about wolves. It is indeed an advert. Uh, it's an advert for the Anfield Wrap. Listen, if you've not been subscribing yet, now would be a fantastic time to do so. All the matches coming thick and fast, and it's a joy to be a Liverpool supporter at the moment. It starts with Wolves, then we've got Newcastle, then Arsenal, and then the big one, Manchester City. Let's hope Liverpool go to Manchester City ahead of them in the table and with points on the board we'll do a fantastic post-match show after all of these games after everything that's coming up we'll be the absolute business from start to finish you know where we are theanfieldapp.com forward slash subscribe Wolves away then uh, back with Amelia with Dan uh, with Mike and with Ben to talk about this playing first Mike we haven't done a lot of it uh, playing before Man City uh, <laughs> being able to leave a marker down but it comes yeah. with a different form of pressure you know the Liverpool squad will know playing first is a thing here playing first to get this result yeah um, yeah I mean funny enough I was just speaking to Ben before obviously Wolves are in quite good form at the moment but you know Liverpool you know doing well this season and that um, yeah it's going to be good playing first and you know you know, there's this whole training thing like the last game, and it's like you know, oh, we've got to win to you know stay on top. But you know, like I said, I try, I try not to look about, look at all that. Listen to the players again um, after the match and they did interviews, and they're like, you know, we're not looking at that, even though they are in the back of the mind. I'm trying to be in the same sort of format. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, lead. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to like focus on the game. But um, yeah, no, I think most important thing is just going. It's going to be a difficult game, you know, especially what was playing at home as well. They've been playing well, but go in, do our thing get the points 
uh, Dan, they've been great. Um, when I say great, for a for a side that are between um, seventh and twentieth, mm-hmm. they may well have the best record against the top six. I haven't looked into that in a lot of detail, but they've got three points against Chelsea, points against Man City, uh, points against Arsenal, points against United, and I mean that that means much these days. Uh, and they got beat three two by Tottenham, but it was three two. I mean, yeah, Tottenham were three 0 up in mm-hmm. the game. My point here is that it's going to be it's going to be really really tough. They're a good side. They're a good sensible side, full of full of tidy footballers. I've watched them quite a bit at home this season and the crowd actually seems to have a positive influence. It's one of the few grounds that I look at on television and they actually seem to make a noise. <laughs> um, and they've got a very, very good coach. Um, I know everyone thought it was strange when he turned up there in the championship because it's all the Jorge Mendes business, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but he did like a really good job at Porto and he was at Valencia, wasn't he, for a while before that. So he's a very talented man. Um, and they've been able to bring in a calibre of footballer that most of the other teams from 7th to 20th wouldn't be able to dream of, you know, they're not competing for the same players as Huddersfield, are they? Because of the whole, you know, ownership situation that they've got going on. They've played well in those games, but I feel like the way they set up will sort of play into our hands a little bit. Like the two best players for me are Ruben Neves and Jaumatinho. Um, very, very good technical footballers, very good passes of the ball, very good uh, vision going forward. But they're not particularly quick, they're not particularly strong, and they don't like being turned around. So if Ginny Wijnaldum gets in a hole between them or if Shaqiri's in between the centre-halves and the centre-mids, I feel like we can exploit that quite a bit. I don't think they're giving an awful lot of protection to the centre-halves. The centre-halves themselves, although they've played quite well this season, Cody, Bennett and that, again, they're not particularly quick. If Mohamed Salah's running at one of them, if he's holding one of them off, I feel like we can exploit that. Um, I know that people will probably say, well, you know, City will have had a similar game plan there and only got away with a point, but... The Wolves goal should have been disallowed. City at the crossbar at the last kick of the game. It was a very fortunate point, I think, for them in the end. I think as much as as much as I think they'll have a big first twenty in the game and I think it'll be hard for us to kind of settle into. I think once that kind of first period has been ridden out, or hopefully ridden out, the way the two teams set up just kind of plays into our hands and it'll be all be okay. Psychology psychology of crowds on football matches, Amelia. I do wonder whether or not the best way for Wolves to get a bit of results against Liverpool might be to sit a bit deep, might be to look to soak it up. It's what they try to do to Man City. Yeah. But eight o'clock Friday night, that's not going yeah, to be a crowd that's going to say, it's all right, lads, sit in, don't try and win your battles. Yeah. I wonder if this could actually be one where there's lots of reasons to think, as Dan says, they'll make a big noise. There's lots of reasons to think eight o'clock Friday night might not suit us, but it might actually help Liverpool. Yeah, Friday night games are fun. They're exciting. It's been a while since that's been a thing that we got to do. I think as much as like as Dan says they can have a great atmosphere and it can be great we'll also have been on the ale all day and we'll be getting there at 8 o'clock to watch some good football and I don't know like they are good it's not going to be easy but there's also the chance that they're overachieving a bit in terms of like they're seventh like people thought they were going to do well but they're currently seventh they haven't rotated their squad very much and they might be a bit tired like we're really good I think it'll be fine. We are really good, aren't we, Ben? I mean, you can gloss over the really good bit, and we all keep trying to do it and play it down a little bit. But you know, to go out of that Champions League group, we played for played seventeen, one fourteen, drawn three. Yeah. At some sort of point, you're going to get beat because it's football. Everyone gets beat yeah, at some stage, or or a result won't go for you. But I don't. I I just don't think it's going to be Friday. Not, and that's not out of a cockiness. I just think that at the minute, this Liverpool side, if anything, it's getting better, and yeah. I think it'll take a lot from Wolves to stop them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, it's funny because. We have played really well, but for large parts of this season, I've come away from games thinking we haven't really played that well, do you know what I mean? Um, I think, you know, we've been really solid, but I think certainly like in the in the attacking third, they haven't really been clicking at all. And it's only the past 
three, four games or so where you can see that they're just starting to get into it. You know, Bobby's in games now, you know, he's linking up the play it's well. Great against United. Oh, yeah, he's mm. brilliant. Um, same with Mo, you know, at the start of the season, fizzing them balls into and it was bouncing off him everywhere. But now you can see he's got that kind of cockiness back. Um, so we have been good, but I think, as you say, I think it's just going to get better and better as the season goes on. That's the one thing that gives me the hope that I think we will um, beat City to it because I feel like they've been playing brilliantly and we've not been playing all right, but we're getting you know better. There's still a lot more to come from them. We're getting through it, Mike. He's gonna he's gonna have to watch his squad next next few games. We've, mm. We we mentioned the defence in part one, and we know that he's a bit bare bones there. But more think about, you know, he he makes two midfield changes between Napoli and United. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the area he keeps rotating and keeping keep that engine room fresh, all that sort of stuff. But maybe look after one of the front three every now and again. Do you see him doing? Do you see him rotating any of the front three, or do you think he'll just keep starting them and think there's enough of a gap between the games, or maybe rest one for Newcastle? What do you reckon? I think, um, yeah, I think he's just going to start them. I think you know, especially this season, you know, um, been criticised a lot for how we've been winning games. You know, it's not, it's not how we were doing the back end of last season where it's, you know, goals, goals and goals, but it's sort of like been playing hard, gritty football, do you know what I mean? And But that's most important. That's where we win these games that we were losing yeah. last season, do you know what I mean? And I think that comes down to, you know, his ability to play the players, even when, you know, as Ben was saying before, you know, they might, they might not be on form, obviously with Bobby as well, it's only the last few games where he's, you know, actually converting passes like really well, do you know what I mean? This, And I think this is... You know, for for some people, they think, ah, oh, you know, they're not they're not on form. They want to lose. It's going to be difficult. Da, da, da. But for me, I think you know he keeps faith in his players, and I think he will play. You know, the attacking forward, and I think you know, will it will be a difficult game. It's going to be gritty. But I think you know that's the football that we're playing. That's going to you know give us the, the chance for the title. Someone said to me this week, do you think he's going to keep rotating midfielders, keep rotating some defenders? Because it means they can do the running for the front three. That they almost they they do all that graft. They're allowed to cheat a bit the front three. It's not quite as intense as it was last season. They do all the graft for me. Swap the other lads around, and then I can keep giving certain ones to them seventy. I think he might change one for Newcastle, whoever which one ever was mm. the most vulnerable. Yeah. Dan. But I think apart from that, I think we are seeing through this through this Christmas period. I think we are seeing Mane, Salah, and Firmino almost every game. I see that point about the the potential tiredness and people doing the running for him, but also the drop off in terms of the second choices, if you want to call them that, between the midfield and the defence is nowhere near as big as what it is from the current front three that we've got. And if you're suddenly lashing a Rigi or Sturridge in, um, so it's easy for him to make those changes. It's really easy for him to just not play Fabinho and play Henderson tomorrow night. No one cares because you've just got a really good midfielder coming in who's literally the captain of the football club. Whereas if he suddenly decides, well, I'm not going to play Mane, I'm not going to play Salah, and I'm going to play... Origi off the left and Sturridge and Firmino is going to play right or something like that then it is a really really big shift so I think over the course of these games we're going to see all of them in this game and then for Arsenal and City as well I think none of them will play Wolves away in the FA Cup I think that's going to be a real some lads that you've forgotten even exist getting games of foot you might even see Lazar Markovic don't know Mignolet and Nets a lot of them see I hate Um, that (laughs) I hate that though because I feel like he did it with the League Cup and, you know, obviously, like, the focus is on the league and that, but I just think this season, it's a really good chance to win a cup, do you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be such a challenge for the league and, you know, the Champions League, you can you can dream anything can happen, but um, I think that'll be a push as well. So, to be in a cup where it's a really good chance of winning 
silverware and and building up that confidence, do you know what I mean? Especially if you're going into the back end of the season, if you do end up winning an FA Cup, and then for that last stretch of the league, it's like everyone's on a high, do you know what I mean? I think, I think, I think it's silly to play a second, second string. I'd agree in another season, yeah. but what I'm thinking about is, say we get to the say we get to the quarter-final of the FA Cup, mm-hmm. and I believe that's midweek, or the fifth round is midweek in March. No, the it's a Wednesday. Round, it, uh, midweek's quarters. Okay, so, so we're in a quarter-final on a Wednesday. We've been to Munich the week before. Mm-hmm. We've got the quarter-final of the European Cup coming up, and we've got, like, I think we've got Everton and Tottenham in March. Mm-hmm. So we've got one of them on the weekend, and I'm just thinking, fuck that quarter-final. <laughs> I, I, I can't be arsed with the FA Cup quarter-final. And maybe you've got Man City in it or someone that you just can't be bothered dealing with yeah. and in a normal you know if it was two years ago it'd be all over the FA Cup but while there's the proper big things on offer if we get knocked out by Wolves there I'm not really kidding well I think I think he, I think he might I, I think on that let's say for instance we do drop down into the Europa League that game against Napoli they, they, he doesn't, Alisson doesn't make that save yeah. he'll play Europa League yeah. football yeah, huge I, think difference. I think he'd be very serious in the mm-hmm. FA Cup but Definitely. I think as it is he's got to make those big calls um, prediction then Amelia <sighs> Can I go last? Okay. So I just worry I'll jinx it so I want other people to say positive things first. <laughs> Me. Um, again, again, I think, yeah, it's probably a tough game, pretty football. I'm just going to go for a 1 0 me. God, that's a long Friday night for me. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for a 2 1. 2 1. All right. Dan? Uh, 2 0 to Liverpool. I was going to say 2 0. I just didn't want it. Shouldn't have shut out them, you? Oh, <laughs> We lose and it's my fault because I said it. What if I'll just get drunk? It's Mad Friday. Yeah, you forget about it soon enough. <laughs> it is indeed Mad Friday. Don't think it'll be a mad game, but it is indeed Mad Friday. Listen, thank you very much to Ben, to Mike, to Amelia, and to Dan, uh, who've been alongside us here, and to our callers throughout the whole of the show. It's been your weekend. Uh, last one before Christmas. Uh, there will oh. be an Anfield wrap. Yeah, yeah, there will be an Anfield wrap for our free listeners. Uh, that'll come out on either Sunday, uh, the 23rd, or Christmas Eve. Um, depends on whether or not we get round to it. I know when we're recording it, but it's when it gets released. Uh, that will be there and as ever there's all the stuff for your subscribers as well uh, whatever you're doing though have a lovely weekend have a great Christmas uh, build up and uh, may the Reds give us exactly what we need which is to be top of the table on Christmas Day Sports Social Podcast Network